You're listening to Beyond Numbers, a podcast by Zero for accountants and bookkeepers. In this series, you'll hear from leaders within some of the accounting industry's pace-setting firms who will share news, views, and creative solutions so you can step away with some inspiration or new ideas to take back to your own business. Welcome to Beyond Numbers. I'm Ash Gibson, your host for Season 1. In this episode, I was joined by Pam Phillips, founder and managing director of Deong Phillips, to talk about what it takes to be an award winner. Deong Phillips won Small Firm of the Year at the 2022 Zero Awards, and Pam herself was awarded Zero's Most Valued Professional on the same night. I loved hearing about Pam's journey and her brilliant advice for other accountancy firms on how to pull together a winning industry award application. Pam, welcome to Beyond Numbers. I'm so pleased to have you here today, uh, recording this podcast live from the Zero office in King's Cross. It's always great to do these things in person, except when there's construction happening outside the window. So sorry about that. (laughs) In this episode, we're going to talk about accountancy awards. So before we talk about how to enter awards, Pam, let's hear about your journey to becoming an award-winning firm. Why don't we wind back a few years? Uh, You studied law and business at Birmingham University. What did you initially have in mind for a career when you started studying that? I thought I was going to be a barrister. So I thought doing law would get me into that kind of sphere. And I did the business added on to it because I just enjoyed business. I've always been really interested in business. So yeah, that's kind of where I thought I'd go. Then as I started studying law, I realized it really wasn't for me. It wasn't what I imagined it was going to be. So um, it was really around when all the employers are doing the is it the milk round where they come and sort of sell themselves to students that I started meeting more commercial businesses and decided that's that's where I want to be. And your first job out of university was at PwC in the audit team. What set you off in that direction? I wanted to work for uh, one of the big five at the time and get my accounting qualification and yeah, PwC was a great place to do that. And I, the reason I wanted to do accounting is I thought it was a good basis for working in business, understanding commerce and just yeah, how businesses work. So it was more of a, a way into getting into business rather than a because I wanted to be an auditor. Yeah, nice. I can imagine there are a lot of young people that study one thing, but eventually head in a different direction when they choose their first career path. Obviously, studying business would have set you up for success in accountancy, but is there anything in particular from studying law that has benefited you in your career as an accountant and business owner? Studying law gave me an experience of having to analyse situations and come to conclusions in a really structured way, sift through lots of information, condense it and come to conclusions where there's not always a black and white answer. So it helped me learn how to approach situations where there's no black and white answer. And you were at PwC while you did your ACA with the Institute of Chartered Accountants and after that moved to RBS, the Royal Bank of Scotland. You were at RBS for quite a long time, more than seven years. Tell me about your role there. Yeah, so I did a few different things there. Um, I started off in their product control team in the investment bank. Well, I was in the investment bank the whole time I was at RBS. And I started off in product control, which is basically being an accountant for different products. So I was in the currency products. So I used to do product um, profit loss accounts and balance sheets for different types of FX products. Quite quickly, I moved into a decision support role where I looked across a range of market 
the whole markets business for the investment bank. And that decision support role is not a million miles away from what I do now. So it was working with business heads, helping them plan for the future. So helping them build budgets, look at if they wanted to invest in a particular area, put together, help them put together business cases to support the, that investment. And the same if they were winding down an area, look at how that would map out in the future. So it was being an accountant and working with my financial background, but actually being more hands-on and more commercial. And after a while doing that, I moved into the front office and I worked in the treasury function as a business manager. So again, I brought my finance experience and knowledge um, but work with the business head, helping them, I guess, run their business. But again, still using my finance background, so still planning and budgeting and problem solving and understanding systems and helping data flow, like helping them understand how data flowed around their business. You finished up there and in 2012 set up your own accountancy business. What was the driver for that? By the time I left RBS, I knew I was ready for a change. I'd always been interested in business, right since the start, right since I picked my degree at university. So I'd always been interested in business and I'd always been entrepreneurial. Um, All the talent and leadership assessments I'd done during my life at RBS had pointed to me being an entrepreneur. So I kind of had been in the back of my mind thinking, I want to start my own business, but what should it be? And it took a long time before I thought I could be an accountancy practice. So that was part, part of the driver. At the same time um, as I as I left RBS, so I was actually made redundant. So the timing kind of worked. I had a choice at that point. Do I go and get another job in the city or I could have actually probably stayed on at RBS in a different role or do I use this as the time to go and set up on my own? And I decided to do that a bit because I wanted to, well, if I didn't do it now, when would I do it? And also I had at that point two children. So I wanted something that would be, had the potential to be flexible. So that's why I did it then. And why did I set up Young Phillips as it was? I suppose that links to what I'd seen in my experience of working with RBS and working at PwC, that I could see that big businesses had access to this full finance function. And they really needed that to, to succeed. And they needed more than just a set of annual accounts. They needed all the planning and systemization and strategic thinking that a full finance function gave them. And small businesses weren't getting that because they couldn't afford it. They couldn't afford it because at the time they'd have needed to spend thousands and thousands on the infrastructure, the software infrastructure to build it. They'd have had to spend thousands to have the team to, to build it. But I could also see that it was possible to create this for them using cloud technology and working as an outsourced finance function. So I didn't want to just up and traditional accountancy firm, I wanted to set up something that leaned into that and brought something different to small businesses. Brilliant. And then you and your dad, Tony, merged your businesses in 2015 and together founded Diong Phillips. Aside from the obvious, a firm of two partners, father and daughter, what was different about Diong Phillips? I think it was the partly the how we embraced technology from the start. So some of that was for me because uh, because I was so set on bringing this finance function, it was critical to do that. And part, some of this was for my dad, who's always been into technology. Right since, you know, before the internet was around, he was always um, exploring what software and hardware was out there. So he had a lot of knowledge on the tech space and I had the kind of the motivation to use it. 
So I think that's what set us apart from this from the start. Yeah, nice. When you were younger, did you ever dream about going into business with your dad? No, uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, he'd all, he'd so he was an accountant as well. Obviously, um, he set up his own business when I was thirteen. So I'd always been around his business, and I used to work for him in the summer holidays and the weekends. I used to do filing and bank reconciliations when I was a teenager. So I was always really part of his business, but I never thought I would. No, I never thought I'd be working with him. I don't really know why I didn't think that, but yeah, no, I didn't. And what's it like working with your dad? I can imagine it could make for quite a good business relationship because you'd be able to be quite frank with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so we don't work together now because he's retired, but actually it worked really well for us. And I'm, I'm sure for many people it wouldn't have worked well, but it did work well for us, I think, because of our personalities. So my dad is quite laid back um, about letting me make decisions so I was pretty much had free reign of what I wanted to do I could do it and make the decisions and we decided early on that we would run the business in a certain way and but what he brought is the tech knowledge and really deep tax knowledge and accounting knowledge so I could learn so much from him and he was happy to let me do the the stuff that I enjoyed the more commercial stuff and the marketing side of things the stuff I found really interesting and fun yeah that's so nice did you ever have to stop yourself from talking about work at like birthdays and Christmas? Probably should have, but we did, <laughs> didn't stop ourselves. Um, yeah, I'm sure my mum and my sister got bored hearing about work, but it's quite all-encompassing running your own business. And especially to my personality, I do, if I get interested in something, I really do. It becomes all-consuming. So we did talk about it a lot. I can imagine it's pretty hard to avoid. Yeah. It's like spending time with your workmates and you end up, Completely talking about work and ignoring everybody else. Yeah. So you managed the business as, as managing director. Your firm has had a few industry award nominations and wins in recent years. So I mentioned earlier you won the Small Firm of the Year Award in 2020, the Accounting Excellence Awards, and Small Firm of the Year 2022 at the Zero Awards. Mm-hmm. And you took home Zero's Most Valuable Professional Award. Congratulations to start with. It's amazing. How did it feel to be recognised by the industry with these awards? Really reassuring, I think, was the main feeling because it kind of gave me comfort that we're doing, we're going along the right path. And it, yeah, it was reassuring to to see that this is something that other people believe in is a good way forward and it's just not in my head. So I think it was good from that point of view. It was exciting to get acknowledged because we work so hard and the team works so hard to create something that we've had to build so what we do is a running a finance function I think it's something that people know about now it's easier to talk about other accountants know what we mean when we say we run a finance function for our clients but five years ago that wasn't the case and we had to explain it all the time what it is why why it's a benefit so now the world's caught up a bit with us and yeah it's exciting to now be acknowledged for something that five years ago we were having to Prove to people why it was a good thing. Nice. So what drives you to enter awards programs now? A few reasons. But the, the, the obvious one is recognition pu- publicly. It helps us attract talent, which is a challenge, I think, across the industry at the moment is hiring people. So by winning an award like Zero Small Firm Award, it just puts us out there as being someone that 
rising stars in accounting might want to work with. It also shows that we're different to other firms because we are being recognised by firms like Zero and Accounting Excellence as doing things differently and doing them well. So I think it helps with talent recognition and it helps, I couldn't point to how many clients we've won from winning the awards, but it's certainly re, it's a, a good message to give to prospects. And we've had clients say to us, oh, well, I'm, I'm considering moving to you and this other firm, but you've won an award. So yeah, you know, someone's assessed you and decided you're worthy of winning. So I'm gonna go with you. So we definitely have one clients off the back of winning as well. The third reason that isn't one I'd thought of when we first started entering awards, but it's one that I think is hugely valuable is just the process of entering an award gives you time to step back and really think about what you've achieved and what you're doing differently and why you are different and why you deserve to win. So it makes you really focus on that and take time out to do it. It highlights all the things you'd love to be able to say, but you can't quite say yet. So it helps set your agenda for the next year or it helps us identify what we want to work on this and we're going to so that this time next year when we enter we're going to be able to say this honestly that we have done this this and this absolutely that's a really nice way of looking at it like that what what is your ambition for Dion Phillips so doing more of what we're doing I think we're getting to the place I want it to get to where all I want I want to be at the point where all the clients that we are working with we are delivering their full finance function I think we're very very close to that now I want it to be even more self-running than it is now. So I want to be able to have the managers and the team more autonomous even than they are right now. I think it's a dream of anyone that runs a business so they can run itself. Um, that's not to say I want to step away because I really enjoy being involved in the business, but I want to set it up so that I don't need to be pivotal in certain areas of it. And I think I've got a bit more work to do on some areas there. But I think really to keep on doing what we're doing, We've got the really good bones of a finance function for our clients. There's no, no service that we need to add in now that I can think of that is missing from a finance function. So now we're at the point where we're rolling it out to more and more clients. We can add on new clients a lot easier because we've got the whole bones of the fun function set up. So I'd say we finally got that in place in the last 12 months. Before that, there was always something missing. So before... Within the last 12 months, we've added in payments. So now we make payments on behalf of our clients. 12 months ago, we weren't doing that. Um, and before that, we started doing credit control. And you know, when we weren't doing that, we couldn't really say we were a full finance function. But now all that's in place. I think we've actually got the bones of it. And it's now just growing in terms of client numbers. Brilliant. So you're starting to see real scale with the way that you've set things up. Yeah. 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 Awesome. At Dion Phillips, you've narrowed down your client base by focusing specifically on agencies. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose agencies as your client niche? There's probably a few different answers I could give, but I think a combination of all of these. One is we had quite a few agencies as clients anyway, so we, we kind of were already pretty familiar with the challenges agencies face. And because so much of what we do is linked to their data being in the cloud, we also needed to be close to the software that they use to solve their challenges. So we'd already built, like, we'd already made good steps to, to doing that. They're a niche that we enjoy working with. So the challenges they face are ones that, are in, that they engage us and we enjoy getting stuck into. And I suppose maybe strangely, agencies aren't so different to accountancy practices in terms of they're selling the skills of their people striving to 
add retainer income, they're running projects and they're growing through the quality of their services to their customers. So they're really similar to my own business. So I can be really engaged in, in hearing their troubles and helping them solve their trouble, troubles. And I've probably gone through the same process in my own business. So I feel really close to their, to their businesses. What has been some of the benefits of focusing on one specific type of client? Oh, there's so many benefits. One is agencies will come to us because they're looking for someone that understands agencies and not at a superficial level, but a more in-depth level. And we, we do that. So I think it makes it easier for us to win new business because when we're talking to agency owners, they can see quite quickly that we do understand them and what they're going through because we've we've seen it before with our other clients. A really big one is it we're able to systemize what we do a lot better. So systemize and streamline what we do because we can just focus on those things specific to agencies. So say like with the tech, the, the apps out there, there are so many apps out there that plug into zero. We couldn't be all over all of them and we don't need to be. We don't need to know what the best stock system is because we don't work with clients with stock. We don't know, need to know what the best tool system is because our clients don't have tools. But there's other software that they do use and we are all over that and we can keep abreast of changes in that tech and other new apps coming up in that space because we are just so focused on that area. So it definitely helps with us rolling out tech to our client and supporting our clients implementing apps and also with training the team we can focus our training on the stuff that our team need to know for our clients and it means we can systemize a lot more we don't have to you know we haven't got one system for one client and then a different client that's so different it needs a different system we can fit pretty much all of what we do into standard processes which again will help us to scale yeah cool talking about apps from a zero awards entry perspective, being able to articulate your in-depth knowledge and use of zero as key but so as experience with those key apps from the wider ecosystem. How do you approach the world of business and financial technology apps for your own firm, but also for your clients? How do you choose the right ones? Mm. Well, to start off with, we first identify what problem we're trying to solve or what improvement we're trying to make. For example, if it's management accounts, we, we want to deliver insightful management accounts and because we're similar to agencies we use the same software for ourselves as we do for clients we'll identify the options and then we'll do a desktop review of those options we'll narrow it down to say three or four and we'll do a desktop review and that review will be starting off with what are we trying to achieve from using this software and what are the essentials that the software must do and what are the nice-to-haves so we do an initial desktop review of the software and then once we've narrowed it down to two we will test it out so we'll do a test on dummy data and see how it looks and if we're still happy like, that will help us make a choice and once we've then made the choice we'll test it out with ourselves and run that software with our own process whatever it might be management accounts for example and if it's looking good at that point then we'll pull in a few willing clients and we've got quite a few clients that are excited by using tech and they are very willing to be guinea pigs so we will then roll out this new software with them but we'll be upfront that we're testing it out and we can't promise it's going to work but you know from what we've seen so far it's it's looking good and then if it if that works then we roll out to other clients so we go through a bit of a process but because we're small and because we're not changing the tech that we use all the time that process can happen pretty quickly 
how do you, I guess, approach pitching apps to your clients? Like, Do you offer it as part of a package anyway or do you have to say, you know, this is going to be worth your while, check it out, it's going to cost this much? What's yeah. the process? Okay, well, it depends on the app. So there's some that is some tech that we use, it's core. And when a client signs up with us, we'll be the first part of their journey with us, their onboarding journey is us building out their finance function. So that might take anything from six weeks if it's a really simple business and and, and they don't need a huge amount of change, but it could be 12 months to 24 months, this building out their finance function. And some elements of that finance function are just essential. So moving them onto zero, putting them in with Dext, if, uh, get cash flow forecast set up on Float and management accounts on SIF. So the stuff there that it just, just happens, they've signed up for a finance function, this is how we build it and this is the tech we're using to do it and we'll manage that and be really clear with them that they're gonna, you know, there's gonna be a journey to get to that point where it's all in place. So that's the bulk of the tech that we implement. And then there's other stuff, which is projects. So that's usually when we've been working with the client for a period of time and we're starting to understand their business and they're talking to us about their pain points. So it might be that they've got, I mean, a common one for agency owners is that they don't really have visibility of how profitable their projects are or particular clients are. And they want to get a deeper understanding of that. So they want some sort of way and they don't, we don't start by talking about a tech solution, but they want some way of understanding how profitable a project is. Then we would usually approach that, well, we would approach that as a project. So scoping out well, what, what problem are you trying to solve? What are the potential solutions? And usually that involves tech. And then we would put it to them that by implementing this and with this process change, you will get that outcome. And there's a price attached in, in implementing that. And then it's for them to decide if that price is going to be worth the outcome. Yeah, amazing. Sounds like you've got a super slick process. And I think that's something that we really notice with our award winners is you seem to like really know what you're about, who your clients are, what your processes are, and you've got you've got that all nailed. And yeah, I think from my perspective, from what I've seen, that's that really stands out in award entries. And I think that comes with experience and time. So that comes from, we've learned as we've gone. We didn't start off on day one being able to do all of that, but we've had years of building and trial and error to get to the point where, and to get the confidence to know this is how we're doing it and to be authoritative in our communication to their clients that actually it doesn't need to always be, some things don't need to be negotiated or agreed. Some things we can dictate. This is the software we're using and this is right for you. and We know it's right for you because we've done it so many times before and we've tried all the rest. Um, and having, I think, that confidence has come with experience. And you've really nailed your processes internally as well with the use of really great technology. What's the impact been on how you service your clients? So some of the software we use internally, one of the key ones is Carbon that we use for managing workflows and communications internally. Um, and that tool lets us schedule all the different, when you're running a finance function, you're running a whole range of different services, sometimes at the same time and sometimes being run by different people. So keeping a handle on that is really important. So by using Carbon, we can manage that and stuff doesn't get dropped. So we don't miss, or we're very unlikely to miss delivering a service. So obviously that's going to have a good impact on our client experience. Um, I think working digitally, and doing everything in the cloud means that 
we can be or we are very collaborative with our clients so the tech that we use for our clients as well as for ourselves means that we can be working on the same data at the same time for example we use float which obviously plugs into zero and float would be or is the live cash flow forecasting system we use for our clients and where we're doing cash flow for clients we'll have a meeting every month and go through like all the updates and they've got a live cash flow this then kind of runs and runs until the next month but in the meantime we've got a lot of clients that want to jump in and tweak the numbers and just see what if I did this and what if I did that what would be the impact and they can be doing that at the same time as we're doing as we're doing as well and we can both kind of use the same data at the same time which is brilliant for collaboration and I suppose the other thing we use internally where we want to be communicating with our clients all the time, like that continuous communication. We don't want to be finding out about stuff after the event or when it's too late. We want them to be talking to us and involving us before they do stuff. We want to be so part of their team that we're involved in the initial conversations before they start to do something. So anything that we can do to improve and keep that communication flowing is really important. Like I know everyone uses Zoom now, but we've been using Zoom for years to have regular calls with our clients. We would Obviously, you can meet clients face-to-face, but when you have a Zoom meeting, you can just do that a lot more often and easier. So that helps the communication. We use Loom to record little videos to share with our clients. So anytime we send the management accounts out, they get a video walking through the numbers and explaining them. So they've had that before we actually meet with them. So then the meeting is way more constructive because they've had time to process the numbers and the questions and conversations actually more around, and so what? What does this mean? What do we need to do? So it's more proactive conversation. So yeah, I think that's probably captures how we're using tech internally to help our clients. And so speaking of working remotely, when it comes to managing the business, you've been able to move with your family from Epsom to Frankfurt. That must feel amazing knowing that you can run an award-winning firm remotely from another country. Yeah, it does. It's been fantastic to be able to do that. I think I always knew we could work remotely because we always had we'd always been very flexible about where we worked and when we worked but up until covid we had an office we still do have an office where which which would be the real hub of where we did our work um but after the lockdown or part of the way through the lockdown when my husband was offered a job in frankfurt we decided to accept it because i realized well we've been working the whole team's been working from home for the best part of a year so actually we can really can do this from anywhere because all we had we had all the tech in place anyway, we we're already using it all. There wasn't really any disruption in me moving from the UK to Germany at all. I try hard to think what the impact has been. And I think the only thing I can think is I don't get to see the team face to face as much as I did before. And, you know, that's something we have to work around and and work hard to map to make sure we have workarounds for that. But in terms of actually doing all the work and running the business, you no, know, we can we can do that from anywhere and it's worked absolutely fine brilliant how often do you get back to the UK so my aim was to come back once every two months I haven't managed to come back quite so often and that's just been because of the challenges of flying because of Covid you know various lockdowns and and then flights being cancelled but actually I think it probably works out every once every three months I've been coming back Um, and I just try and fit a lot into the week when I come back well we're really glad you were able to come back for expat on Thursday and to record the podcast in person today. For anyone listening who's not aware, expat stands for Zero Partner Advisory Council. So three or four times a year, we bring a group of accountants and bookkeepers into the office and share some of our 
upcoming plans or ideas with the aim of getting some insights and feedback from on the ground. Now, the role of our XPAC members is to advise us and be the voice of the accounting and bookkeeping industry. But entering the awards is actually a really excellent gateway into XPAC. We're always looking for firms that have demonstrated a real passion for pushing the industry forward uh, in new and innovative ways. So, Pam, do you use your awards or your involvement in things like XPAC to demonstrate your capabilities uh, with clients? We sort of touched on it earlier, but like, how do you... How do you do that? How do you pitch it? Well, we we certainly refer to winning awards on our website and in our social media. So it's kind of out there um, for people to see. And we we always drop it, (laughs) drop it into a proposal call just to let prospects know that we don't just use zero, but we're really, really good at zero. Um, I'm really engaged in understanding it and not just now, but where it's going. So, yeah, we I mean, it definitely helps us. Um, demonstrate our zero credentials for sure and our digital accounting expertise it helps us showcase that yeah and you get um, sort of badges and things that you can put on your website and on your email signature when you're an award winner not just with the zero awards but with with accounting excellence as well and I know that you write lots of blog content as well how do you find the use of blogs as a medium I think blogs are, re- are really good. They they are really good. They're writing blogs and putting blogs out there, it's hard to know, and maybe there's a way, and I just don't know what it is, of measuring how what an impact it has on your on, on winning new business or keeping your existing clients happy. But firstly, the process of writing a blog, so really, blog is a really good process to go through because it helps you solidify your own understanding of something and make sure that you're communicating that subject in a in a clear way. But we definitely have feedback from potential clients and clients who have they followed us for a while and we haven't even been aware they've been following us, but they, they will contact us and they'll, they'll refer to having seen something on the website and they'll drop it into a conversation that we know we've got experience in something or other because they've seen our blog and they've seen it shared on socials. So I think it writing the blogs and putting stuff out on social media, I think just keeps it gives that message and that background message that we are experts in what we do and there's a depth of knowledge behind what we say in our face-to-face meetings and it's also a really good resource for when we are having conversations because similar challenges come up time and time again and it's really helpful to be able to point to a blog and say have a read of this you know this has got a bit more information and then we can have a chat about this that or the other because it demonstrates again that when we're talking to a client this isn't the first time we've heard this problem this is something we really know and we've looked at time and time again. Yeah and I know you talk about measurement with blogs, but I think you're right. It's, it's just a really great resource to have when people are researching you and wanting to know more about you and they can see what you're an expert in and what you're passionate about. And I think the way that you communicate online is very personal and like it's a really nice way of understanding who you are. So, yeah, that's probably a really nice thing for clients as well. Speaking of clients, you've written a book. What's it about and who's it for? I have written a book. So it is about, well, it's, it's for agency owners and it is about all the challenges that we see time and time again in agency businesses and with some advice and real life stories about how to overcome those challenges um, from using our experience, my experience working with lots of agencies and also my experience of running my own accounting practice um, and from being a finance professional simple things that agency owners can put in place to help make their agency more profitable but also more scalable 
Why did you decide to write it? <laughs> so, yeah, good question. I didn't have intentions of writing a book ever, but I was writing a lot of blogs. And at some point I thought, I guess it comes back to the finance function. What a finance professional can offer a business is really complicated. Well, it's, it's, it covers a lot of areas and it's hard to sum up in one blog or one conversation because it can cover so many different aspects. And I think what we were doing as an accounting firm covers so many different things. I felt it was hard to capture that um, in a simple conversation or a blog. And I was like, this needs a book. Um, and I thought, well, I can probably turn this into a book pretty quickly. It'd be just like writing 10 different blogs, patching it together in a book, and there we go. Turns out it's not that easy to write a, a book. And it's taken a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. But um, it's been a really good experience for me writing it because it's really helped me get clear on what we do and what we offer our clients and how it all pieces together. And I think it's got me... Um, it's helped me communicate better the structure that can be put around running an agency business. I say an agency business, but actually any business. A lot of the stuff in the book is not rocket science. It's pulling together a lot of what a lot of people will have heard already, but it pulls it into one place. Um, and some of the stuff, whereas I think it's common sense, I know when I talk to agency owners and I say what I think is common sense, it blows their mind because they haven't studied finance and they haven't seen the things that I've seen. So, yeah, the book kind of captures all that. And when does it come out and how can people read it? It comes out on the 3rd of October and it's it's free. It's a download, it's an ebook, and it's going to be downloadable from our website. So go to our website and you can download it. What's your website address? deongphillips.co.uk It's a good website address. Um, <laughs> so by the time this podcast comes out, it will already be live. So go and check that out. Very cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Pam, you've entered awards before and not made it through to the finalist stage. Other times you've made it to the finalist stage but haven't taken home the award. How has it felt to go through that process and not be successful? I think it's felt different on different occasions. Obviously, if you enter for an award, you put a lot of effort into it and you want to win for sure. But I don't think I ever felt overwhelmingly disappointed because... To start with, you're you're happy to be a finalist. That's really good recognition anyway. And like I said before, you get a lot of, I feel I get a lot of value from going through the process of applying and entering. And then to, to, to not win, I don't, I don't remember feeling overwhelmingly disappointed. I think because part of, there's the event, there's the adrenaline of the evening. It's a, usually a fun event anyway. You're with peers certainly so for the zero I've been to a sort of finalist in the zero award before and then finalist in one in the zero award and the finalist in the zero award uh, where we didn't win we were at an amazing party with loads of people that I would call friends the people that did win I knew and respected and have lots of conversations with and I know I can learn from them so it kind of just it felt okay I obviously would have loved to win but kind of felt like an, if the, the whole awards ceremonies feels like in a celebration of accountancy and the world that we're in now that's moving forward. And everyone in that room or those rooms are all in their own way doing similar to what we're doing and trying to break the mould of accounting and move it forward and better help businesses. And it's just good to be part of that. What about when you've entered awards and not made it through to the finalist stage? <laughs> uh, okay, when, then, well, I think sometimes, because we've entered a few that we haven't made it to finalist, 
sometimes I would probably say fair enough we haven't done enough to be finalists so we haven't argued or like sold ourselves well enough in the application to be finalists so those ones I, I accept some of them I think oh, they're probably they, they've got it wrong we should definitely have been finalists um but usually I try and learn I, I I try and learn and think well what could we have done differently what could and should we have been saying and if I think hard enough about it I can usually I usually know exactly what we should be doing one example one of the first ones we entered was probably a zero award and we didn't get finalists so I think we entered three times so there if you hadn't entered the zero awards three times three third time lucky for us and um, the first time I think we did I couldn't put any statistics down particularly and then I remember reading about the winner and the winner had pointed to their NPS score like yeah we don't even measure our NPS score so I've learned something new we'll go and measure it and then every award entry after that we would state what our NPS score is so not just good for award entry but good for our business because now we understand how we're helping our clients so you can always learn from doing these things learn and make your business better yeah amazing so not winning has obviously driven you to enter again and again and worked in your favor yeah for sure yeah I love it so I know a couple of firms each entering separate categories in the past who have buddied up and peer-reviewed each other's entries, which I thought was pretty clever and quite a cool example of the zero community at work. Have you ever considered doing something like that? No, I'd never thought of doing that, but that's a great idea. I will do that in future. Yeah, hot tip, hot tip <laughs> for everyone out there. Buddy up with another firm. Don't enter the same award though, that, yeah. that'd be awkward. <laughs> Um, What advice would you give to other firms who have entered awards programs previously but have not been successful? Keep entering. Just because you haven't been successful in one doesn't mean you won't be successful in another for so many reasons. One, your business will have changed, how you approach the award entry will have changed, but also the judges will have changed and the agenda for the judges are looking for will have changed. So keep keep trying. Um, But some really basic tips, I think. So as I was saying before, being able to point to facts and figures helps. Um, so being able to quote your NPS score, the growth that you're talking about, if you're talking about what you do to market your business, point to the impact that SEOs had on your number of website hits or how many blogs you're writing or how many podcasts you're paying. Point to actual numbers that can be tracked. Whether the award application asks for it or not, put in some client testimonials or some staff testimonials to back up what you're saying so it's not just in your own words. Be really honest. I think that's really important don't say something that's not true just don't you'll get if you win and you get asked about it you won't be able to authentically talk about it and also so much of it the judges can find out and it's obvious that it's not true so be authentic and be really really clear about what it is that you do that is different and confidently talk about that so I was a judge in the accounting excellence awards one year the year after we won it So I got to see a whole load of applications and the ones that stood out were the ones that really talked about what they were doing and that was different. And there was, I know there was one firm that entered and one of the judges was saying when we did the moderation, that firm is doing some really, really cool stuff, but they haven't mentioned it on the application. So we can't judge them on it, but we, they knew that they were doing some really great stuff. If it had made it onto the application, they would have had a good chance of winning. So I think that comes down to really believing in what you're doing, communicating it and taking the time to do the application, like really invest time in doing it because whether you win or not, you'll get something out of the process. Who should be in charge of writing an awards entry? I know some firms get their marketing or PR teams to, to do it. Others are written by cloud champions and others by founders or managing partners. What, what do you think? Um, I think the founder has to be involved 
I guess, can have support in writing it. But I think the founder should be involved to convey their vision and their passion. And speaking from my experience, that's something that I, I can do very authentically. But I think it is worth involving others in your team, for sure, to get other people. So when we entered our last awards, we brainstormed it as a team. Like, what can we put in here? What great stuff have we done that we want to shout about? And there was loads of stuff that we could put in that wouldn't have come to my mind. Um, So involving your team is really important. And I think involving a marketer is a good idea as well, because you might be doing some great stuff. But if you don't communicate it and sell what you're doing, well, actually, this comes back to when I was judging if you're reading loads of awards entries, they can get quite samey. And I think having someone that's a good writer and a good communicator helping you present it in a way, what you're trying to say in an engaging way, it's got to help make the award entry more readable and more memorable. I know for a fact that we get a ton of entries in the last week or even the last day of the entry period. We always think, oh, no, we need to market more. And then they just all come in on the last day. In your experience, how long does it take to write a good submission? So how how prepared should people be for that final entry cutoff? It's an investment. It's definitely a time investment. And I would, from start to finish, give yourself a couple of weeks to do it. I book out a week of my own time to invest in the board's entry application because you've got to gather all the evidence across the team figure out what message you want to give, write it, and then you've got to write it in a way that fits the 250 words per question. So that's quite a skill, getting everything you want to say down into 250 memorable words. So yeah, a couple of weeks for sure from start to finish. Definitely don't try and do it in an afternoon. Um, And I think it's really obvious when entries, certainly when I was judging, when entries run out of time because they start really strong and then by the last question it's kind of rushed. So definitely invest, invest the time. Okay, so for those firms listening right now who are wondering if they should enter the next Industry Awards program, whether it's the 2023 Zero Awards or something else, what's the best piece of advice you can give? Taking the time, I think that is probably the best piece of advice of stepping back and taking the time to really think through why you're different. There's a lot of things that you can say that are probably quite the same as plenty of other firms, but there will be something that you're doing differently or you're doing really well that other people aren't and figure out what that is and talk about that. Now it's time for our obligatory Beyond Numbers quickfire word association game. I'm going to say a series of words or phrases and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind as quick as you can. Okay, are you ready? Yes, I think so. Don't worry, it's not hard. Remote working. Digital. Bank. Feed. I knew you were going to say that. That was the first (laughs) thing I thought too, but I did wonder. Uh, Office pet. Dog. Family business. Yes. Creative. Everyone. Judge. Don't. (laughs) Favourite accounting app, not including zero. Oh, that's really hard. Float. Why? Because I've seen our clients make real life decisions off the back of float, like immediate impactful decisions off the back of using it. Yep, knowing your cash flow is key. Uh, if you all of a sudden got fed up with accounting and chose to throw on the towel and try another career, what do you think you might choose? Landscape gardener. Ooh. Do you do gardening at <laughs> no, home? Not really, but I like looking at gardening magazines and I like flowers. I like being in a garden. That all sounds really nice, but I feel like landscape gardening involves like <laughs> digging and like 
pruning things and I know we haven't real manual labor yeah that bit not so not so designing gardens then designing gardens that other people can build yeah nice awesome Pam thank you for joining me on the podcast today and for making the trip from Germany to be with us in person this week you're an inspiration and it's been a real pleasure talking to you so thank you thank you You've been listening to Beyond Numbers, brought to you by Zero, produced by Birdline Media. If you heard something that caught your attention, share the episode with your colleagues so they can listen too. Thanks for listening. 